Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. 61 days, my brothers and sisters. And then we have an election that is just as much of a reckoning. Two of the most polar opposite visions that we have ever seen of this country laid out exactly two months from Election Day. Biden went to Kenosha today, two days after President Trump's visit. But it was as if Trump were addressing the people there, not today, but in the early 1960s. This harsh sense of law and order, which seems to mean bring down the power of his authority, not that he has that much when it comes to state policing, but he's got to get these blacks and their kooky white allies in order. There is no problem beyond their actions. I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. I think the police do an incredible job, and I think you do have some bad apples. That question wasn't even for him. He jumped it because he wants to control the narrative. There's no big problem. Couple bad apples. I think it's the orchard. It's not just a few apples. It's not about all the police. It's not about people having black hearts, no soul. It's not what it is. That's a cheap excuse. It's about the system. It's about the money we put in and the results we get out and the way we calibrate the two. It's about how we train, how we explain, and how we coordinate. It's big. And it's not just policing. It's lending. It's educating. It's hiring. It's paying. And it's loving. And he knows it and he won't say it because he doesn't think it sells. He literally doesn't think that this country treats some people differently than others, especially on the basis of color and perceived class. And he is wrong. That's why Joe Biden went there. Can he sell a different message? He certainly was talking as if he lives in a different world from Trump. The underlying racism that is institutionalized in the United States still still exists, has existed for 400 years. And, uh, and so what's happened is that it, we end up in a circumstance like you had here in Kenosha and have here in Kenosha. Now, what do you have here? You got two older white guys, true. But after that, these two men bear no resemblance in message or mentality. Trump's pitch is clear. Single word, fear. First, it was Muslims, remember? Islam hates us, gotta ban them. Muslim ban is what I call it. Changed it because the courts forced them to because this is America. Then it was Mexicans, the brown menace, as I say, he constructed coming for your women and your jobs. They're all MS-13, you know, bringing drugs, killers. Now his puppets on state news put pictures to his latest pretensions. Blacks are out of order. We need strength to get things back under control. Do you believe systemic racism is a problem in this country? Well, you know, you just keep getting back to the opposite subject. We should talk about the kind of violence that we've seen and 
Portland and here and other places. It's tremendous violence. Now, if you were to ask him, why were they on the streets? What led to the violence? Was it random? Did they put out a message? Was it a TikTok dance gone rogue? There's a reason they're hitting the streets, Mr. President, right? Isn't it your job to at least acknowledge it? I think this message would be more familiar to us in our collective history if Trump had been giving it with a lot of big dogs around him and fire hoses. Fear the others. And if you get out of line, if you want more than we say you can have, you're going to get the hose. You're going to get the dogs on you. We've been there before. That is not who we are anymore. Now, can you sell the other side? Because fear sells. So Biden is saying, yeah, I can. You can't scare people into defiance of reality. Well, um, I think Alderman, what's been unleashed with a lot of people is they understand that um, fear doesn't solve problems. Only hope does. I'll tell you what, they're coming after him. Wake up, Joe. This is a fight. Got to act like it. You got to get up. You got to have energy. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, given the context of where he was, but this is politics. And this fight is about people's passions. He met with the Blake family, Biden. They didn't want to see Trump. And you know why? He spoke to Jacob Blake himself on the phone, who's paralyzed in the hospital, now out of the ICU. Here's how Biden discussed it. He talked about how nothing was going to defeat him. How, whether he walked again or not, he was not going to give up. Now, there is compassion in that. But there's another side also. And court, uh, and the president is going to court it very aggressively. And I understand why. And that side is, what are you being so nice to Blake for? Is he really a victim in all this? Listen. If we can help, we're going to help. But it is a question. It's, it's under investigation. Uh, a lot of things happened with that and other things, frankly, that we're looking at very, very closely. Now, it's not exactly the same. I've heard a lot of you say this is like McCain being a loser for getting captured. Not exactly. Not exactly. This is not just brazen disrespect for disadvantage. It's about justice. It's about what is fairness under law. Blake did. We saw the video. Blake did apparently resist arrest. So what's the argument? All right. So Blake is not blameless. Okay. Stipulate to that. Accept it. But what is Trump's argument? Whatever happens after that is okay. It's okay that he got shot. But for your resisting, this wouldn't have happened. So it's on you. No, the police are the ones that we invest with our belief in their duty to represent our best interests. They are trained to de-escalate. They are trained to not deal with the force that comes their way. They are trained to be better than what they deal with. The president thinks that the way he handled it led to a win in Kenosha. Listen. Biden went there today. There was nobody there. There was nobody there. He was a little late. I was going to say, hey, listen, we ended that problem. It's not a rock concert, Mr. President. 
governor of Wisconsin called for the National Guard a day before Trump reached out to Wisconsin officials. Are all people being policed the same way now? Is that the win? Or is it about your popularity? Do you give a damn about the people in Kenosha? Or did you go there to help yourself? Boy, the answer seems painfully obvious, doesn't it? You're not going to hear it over on state TV. You're not going to hear it from his puppets and the foppish frauds that tell you a different story, that everything's going to hell in a handbasket, but it doesn't matter that it's on his watch. Oh, yeah, it does. So what's his real answer? He's got a fix. You know what helps inequality? Less resources. What? What? Yeah. Tell Trump if it makes no sense. His new solution to the outcry over injustice is to cut off funding to cities that are led by Democrats. Does he realize that Republicans live in those cities too? And that a lot of cities that are in trouble in America are led by Republicans? Not as many as Democrats, because the bigger a population center gets, the more they usually seem to elect Democrats. But he swore an oath to protect everybody, didn't he? Not just white people who like him. Another stark contrast between Trump and Biden in Kenosha goes way beyond the issue there. Now, Biden has a mask on. Did he have to? Let's argue no. But he did it to send a message to us. Trump never does it. Never. Trump told the crowd indoors they should take theirs off if they were more comfortable. And then tonight, he mocked Biden for wearing what he himself told us was our patriotic duty to wear. Listen. But did you ever see a man that likes a mask as much as him? And then he makes a speech and he always has it, not always, but a lot of times he has it hanging down because you know what? It gives him a feeling of security. Congressman, give me your mask. I want to have it hanging from my ear. I don't want to touch your damn mask. Listen. Don't ever argue to me again that the president gets what we need to do in this pandemic. He said we have to wear masks. You know, they gave him they gave him mixed messaging in the beginning, but he knows it. He wore it. He says it. He says it's his your patriotic duty. That is BS. He said it because he had to, because he was getting his ass beat all over the country for ignoring the one prophylaxis we have social distance, wear the mask, wash your hands, be smart. He doesn't think it's patriotic to wear a mask. He doesn't think anything is patriotic except backing him. And if you don't, God have mercy on you because he's coming. He's coming for you worse than any virus ever. Trust me. But don't you tell me. Don't be unfair. He wants people to wear masks. He said it. No, he doesn't. You just saw him mock it, and it's not a joke. He thinks anything that's not good for him is a joke. And I'm telling you, it's a mistake. He is the leader of this country, and we are not out of the woods in this pandemic. We could get out of them. We don't have to be sick forever, but we have to do the right things. And he is not telling us what we need to hear. And that's why his supporters think, They're showing support for him by not showing support for one another and letting each other get sick. You don't think people have gotten sick at his rallies when they're not covered? He's not going to admit it, but he's a damn liar. And we know they are. 
and the responsibility matters and it is his. So now we're coming up on Labor Day. We know what that means. Big groups. We know what that could mean. Big surge. Let's discuss Dr. Zeke Emanuel, former Obama White House health policy advisor, author of Which Country Has the World's Best Health Care? This is an abstruse subject that he has broken down in very readable fashion. Bravo to Zeke. He also serves on Biden's campaign coronavirus task force. So thank you for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Zeke, the president says, listen, nobody knew what the hell was going on with coronavirus. They were giving me all mixed messages. Even the mask. Mask is bad. Don't do it. You'll touch your face. You'll make yourself sick. So as soon as I got a handle on what was going on, I did all the right things. Nobody's handled it better than us. We got the best death rate in the world. We're handling it as well or better than anyone else. True? False. Uh, You just have to look at places like Taiwan, New Zealand, uh, both of those countries. uh, Taiwan has 24 million people, fewer than 500 cases, seven deaths in the entire country. Economy is going. New Zealand, 5 million people, fewer than 500 cases, and also fewer than 10 deaths. And even places that have done poorly, like Italy, they were in terrible shape in March. They peaked around uh, March 26th or 27th towards the end of March. And then by uh, May, they were, at the end of May, they were very low. And they actually were that way for most of the summer until the August vacation uh, when people ignored all the public health measures. Uh, So many other countries have done much better than us. You know, we did hit a peak of 66,000 cases per day. We're now down at 40,000, about 33% less, Uh, but we have a long way to go. We have to get below 10,000, below 5,000 new cases a day. Um, So we have to be vigilant in in precisely the way the president hasn't urged us to be vigilant. You assess the healthcare system of the U.S. and 10 other countries. Where do we fall? Uh, We're not in the top 10. Uh, I would say we're not the worst, but we're not in the top 10. In terms of response, because, you know, all clinicians like you keep arguing that they don't even like me mentioning our um, death rate because they say, you know, you are punishing our healthcare system for being so good at keeping people alive. Um, and that that is that's actually a skewed metric. So give me the reason why we didn't do well. Oh, we didn't do well uh, for a whole series of reasons. First of all, as uh, you know, we didn't uh, lock down the country and put into uh, effect the public health measures. And while we were putting into effect those public health measures, building up our testing capacity, building up our tracing capacity and our ability to isolate uh, people so that if we had small outbreaks, we could suppress them. Um, we still don't have good testing. We've gotten to a maximum of 800,000 tests per day, um, and it's actually been dropping in the last couple of weeks, not increasing. And most experts like myself think we need to be at 5 million at least a day. Um, We don't have the infrastructure in place for that. The president has not been able to solve that problem. He assigned it to Jared, and and it's not been solved. Um, And that's just one sample of the many uh, uh, factors. You know, PPE is not distributed in the right places. The drug remdesivir hasn't gone to the right hospitals. It's gone to some hospitals with the low number of cases, not hospitals with the high number of cases. 
And, you know, the, the outbreak has moved. It was in New York, then it's the South, the West. Now it's in the Midwest. Missouri and, and Iowa are the big focal points. Yeah, my so fear is that one things now, you know, my fear is that now that it moves into less populated areas, people won't be wowed by the numbers. But it doesn't mean it's not impacting communities very hard in the heartland. And that's why we got to keep covering it, even if the numbers aren't overwhelming. Vaccine sooner equals better for us in this pandemic. So if they can do it, Trump has pulled off a major big move right before the election. Fair analysis. Oh, yeah, he, he's counting on it. And, and what's interesting is, you know, other countries listen to their scientists and have empowered their scientists. The countries that have tended to do well have given the scientists the authority to actually uh, uh, drive things and dictate how uh, the procedures ought to go. And places that haven't done well, like the United States, like Brazil, like Mexico, have tended to ignore science. And we've seen over and over with hydroxychloroquine, with uh, uh, the convalescent plasma, where we've approved them with emergency youth authorizations only to have to pull them back because it was political pressure that led to their approval. But we if just we saw get with the... convalescent pla plasma that the FDA really didn't want to approve it. Uh, Trump then had a tweet storm over last weekend, and they came out and said, uh, okay, we're going to give it emergency youth authorization. And they actually completely made up uh, the data. Um, even the authors of the study said that they misquoted them. Uh, you can see what political pressure does to an agency like the FDA, and I am very afraid. If we get the vaccine sooner than just about everybody else, doesn't that show that we're ahead in terms of dealing with the pandemic? No, it, uh, it doesn't show uh, that we're ahead at all. What's interesting is that we're doing a lot of these uh, vaccine studies in the United States, and you have to do those studies where there's a big outbreak. Most countries like Germany or Norway, uh, you can't do the study because there aren't enough cases. Mm. In the United States, there are so many cases you can do the vaccine trial, and that shows you how bad we're actually doing in this country, that we have enough cases uh, to actually do the vaccine study. Now, Zeke has known me a long time. I don't have the acumen to give you all the answers of what you should think about everything. Uh, that's why I bring on people uh, like Dr. Zeke Emanuel. I do believe in homework, though. I do believe in the grind. If you read which country has the world's best health care, you will get a much better analysis than I have ever offered you or I have seen offered about why the different fates were what they've been to this point in different countries and in different systems. It's worth the read, especially before the election. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, God bless. Good to see you. Be well. Thanks, Chris, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right. We have one of the community leaders who met with former VP Biden today in Kenosha. Uh, what does he see as the problem there? Did it end the way the president proclaimed? What is the way forward? Next. Joe Biden not only met with the family of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, he also talked with community leaders. They include uh, Alderman Anthony Kennedy, who joins us now on primetime. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. How are you today? Better than I deserve. What do you think the uh, net effect in terms of difference was uh, in terms of what the visit of each man meant to the community? I think uh, when... The vice president came today. He wanted to listen. Um, they're going to take your strengths and they're going to use them against you. So he was doing socially distancing. 
so our president can make fun of the fact that there was no one there. But the people in that room were the people that are going to be doing the work to rebuild this community on, on not just a building level so you can come in and hand out the money, but we also know that our spirits have been hurt. And uh, the vice president has spoke to mm. hope and spirits and the restoration of that, that, that the American spirit. Um, the president, he's, he lacks empathy. And I think that's really the difference. I was able to see someone who saw our pain and knew we didn't need a big uh, event. And, and it's kind of interesting. The last two times I've been able to just sit and, and be at peace was when I met with Senator Baldwin yesterday at the jockey headquarters. And today when I met at the church with uh, Vice President Joe Biden, no phones, no cell phones going off, none of these, uh, no emails to, no fires to put out. Just And, and that, that's restorative to the soul. Let me ask you something. Uh, of course, the president's going to mock the mask. Uh, he thinks masks are weakness. Of course, he's going to make fun of the crowd size. He sees that as the only metric uh, that matters. And again, he thinks the pandemic is a joke. So social distancing is therefore a joke to him. But I'll tell you what he says isn't a joke. You crazy blacks and your kooky white allies running around, burning up your communities. That's the problem. No such thing as systemic inequality, whatever that means. It's too many syllables. Got a few bad apples in the cops. But you guys are the problem. You need some law and order, not some mushy Biden coming up there and talking to the guy who may be a criminal in the first place. How do you deal with that message? Because it resonates loudly in the president's ranks. And your state, as you know, has a lot of Trump supporters. I would say that if you ask the Blake family, we have uh, we need more policing. I don't think they would agree with you. Um, that shooting happened two blocks away from my house. You talk about the state of Wisconsin and the narrative that often goes down is that in 2016, the domino of Kenosha fell and thus Wisconsin fell. Um, sometimes it's hard not to be paranoid and think that this was, that we were targeted um, before the mail-in ballots come out and all that stuff. I don't know who, I don't know why we are in this situation. But if the triggering event is a death of a black man by the police officers, who did the Kenosha police kill? The last person killed in my town was killed by a white outsider who murdered two men in the middle of the night and was able to come into our, infiltrate our town and leave our town without any consequences whatsoever until he was arrested in Illinois. So the narrative that our president, that we need more policing or any other narratives that are going in, it's hard to put a lot of investment in those when when you see what's happening here. I've always said, a protester, a demonstrator, I'm never worried about them. Those are my friends, my neighbors, my constituents. But unfortunately, there are people who are going to take their passion, going to take their demand for social justice, and take their demand for equity in the system and use it for their own evil purposes. Mm. Alderman Anthony Kennedy, you know I'm making the case uh, because that's the case that's being made against you. Um, but my heart and my head are with the community. And I wish oh, you... I appreciate what you do. I wish I you some healing. You and we will not forget what happens with these cases. We will stay and we will watch. And thank God um, Jacob Blake is alive. We'll let the facts fall where they do in the analysis, but we will stay on the story. That's all I've been saying, sir. That's all, all I've been saying. 
the, the facts are going to fall where they're at. Right. Meanwhile, right. we have to build some capacity in our in our communities so that this happened, this event happened. Mm -hmm. How do we build capacity? How do we put trust back into the system? How do we we're still going to have to live together. And we're having some very difficult conversations about race in, in Kenosha. That's good. That's a very good thing mm. because I, the, the black community in Kenosha is not monolithic. Right. right. And so it is not one viewpoint of, of all black people in Kenosha. We tried. We had a meeting and we couldn't come to consensus. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but what I think some people in Kenosha are starting to realize is, even in our hometown, there's some hurt people. Even in our hometown, there's some people who feel disenfranchised. Even in, in this, I think we got lulled into a Kenosha exceptionalism, but we're waking up and people are having some discussions and some of them are a little ham-fisted in their response, but they're trying. They're really trying. That's now. all you and can ask for, Alderman. Uh, your leadership is about bringing out the different voices in a community and make sure they're heard and you lead on the basis of whatever consensus you can find. I wish you well. And I'm here. I'm always a phone call away uh, to say to talk about and report what's what matters. Be well. Thank you again for the opportunity to give us to tell our story as opposed to letting someone else tell it. So Understood. Thank you. Understood. And the way we're going to stay on this story is not just by talking to people like Alderman Kennedy uh, in Kenosha, but staying on cases like this as our evidence of more than just a bad apple. It's about the orchard. It's about how we grow the trees. It's about how we tend to the fruit. It's about how we deal with pests among the trees. It's the whole system. A black man died by suffocation after a police confrontation. This was months before George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis. They say they've been investigating it for a long time. It happened right here in New York, in Rochester, on a snowy night in March. CNN has obtained video, and I'll tell you why I care about this case. It's not just about here. We're all brothers and sisters all across this country. There's a factor in this that we ignore all the time in policing matters. And we can't anymore. The man's brother is here. Next. Black man's dead after an encounter with police. Another family now calling for justice. Another community looking for answers. The name Daniel Prude. Rochester, New York. It happened back in March. Not now. They've been investigating. CNN obtained video from the family's attorneys of several officers' body cameras. This all began when Daniel's brother, Joe, called police. His brother called them, saying that his brother was having a mental health episode and said he was known to take PCP. Listen. The drug he was on, it got him hallucinating. Is he on PCP? Bingo. Yeah. In the video... You'll see officers cover Daniel's head with what's called a spit sock. He had been spitting toward them, on them, whatever, and saying he had coronavirus. This is according to police reports. Then several officers pin him to the ground before he stops breathing. Keep in mind, the medical examiner's report cites complications, asphyxia, as well as what is called excited delirium and acute PCP intoxication as causes of death. Those two terms go together in terms of what drugs can do to somebody's body creating stress. So let's rewind and examine what led up to this in more detail. 
After Daniel's brother called the police for help, we see another set of officers checking out some broken store windows, which they think might have been done by Prude. Officers catch up with Prude around 3.16 in the morning. Get on the ground. Put your hands behind your back. Behind your back. Yes, don't sir. move. Yes. Don't move. Yes, Chill out, man. Don't move, all right, man? Now, it's cold, right? There's a light snow going on. And Daniel Prude is naked. He complies and he's put in handcuffs. While cuffed, you see Prude start to get worked up. You're going to hear him. He's going to start yelling uh, at the officers, moving around on the pavement. Here's more. Give me your gun I need. Scoop Craze is here. Give me your gun I need it. That's him. He's saying, give me your gun. I need it. About three minutes into the encounter, officers placed the spit sock over Prude's head after they say he was spitting. Keep in mind, this is during the peak of the coronavirus pandemic in New York. Spit sock can definitely minimize exposure. Prude gets more agitated because they just put the hood on his head. You're hearing it. The officers demand he lay down. He starts to try and get up. That's when three officers physically pin him down Here's a piece of that. Christ, Take this off my plate. No, I got him. I, I mean, got him. I'm already in Drag and kill me. One officer did have his knee on Prude's back. The other is holding his head on the pavement. The entire time, the spit sock remains on his head. A third officer can be seen putting his weight on Prude's head. Prude at this point does... You know, it's a matter of subjectivity, but he does appear to be struggling to breathe. During the struggle, officers realize Prude appears to have vomited. Soon after, paramedics come in to assist. Does he have a pulse? No. Start CPR. They perform CPR for two minutes. Prude was pronounced brain dead at the hospital. He died about a week later. As for the case, the family is planning to file a wrongful death suit. The police union says it has concerns, but still gathering information. The mayor today suspended all officers involved and had some tough words for the police chief for not informing City Hall earlier that this wasn't a drug overdose in police custody, as she says she had been led to believe. Here's that piece. I have addressed with the police chief how deeply and personally and professionally disappointed I am for him failing to fully and accurately inform me about what occurred with Mr. Prude. Our response to him was wrong. And we need to change how we deal with these situations going forward. An independent investigation is being handled by state law by the New York Attorney General, who's promising to be, quote, swift and thorough. The Rochester Police Department is conducting a separate internal investigation, although a previous one preliminarily found the officer's actions appeared to be appropriate. Tonight, Joe Prude, Daniel's brother, the one who called the police for help, joins me along with an attorney for the family. I wanted to give you the readout of how this went down first. We'll discuss with these two gentlemen next.
Daniel Prude's death during an encounter with Rochester police can't be treated as an isolated case. There are just too many families feeling like my next guest. His brother, Joe Prude, uh, is with me, along with the family's attorney, Elliot Dolby Shields. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both for joining me. Joe, I'm very sorry for your loss. I'm sorry to meet you under these circumstances. Thank you. Um, Joe uh, and Counselor, you, you come in as you feel relevant, okay? Uh, Joe, uh, when you called the police that night, why? Well, from my knowledge, like, you know, the, the pattern that he was showing me, you know what I mean? And also with what my sister told me over the phone when she asked me, can he come over here so I can help him? You know, it was to believe to her knowledge that someone smoked a lace blunt with him that had PCP on it. So... Go ahead. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure that this isn't the first time you've had to deal with something like this. It's very hard for the family uh, dealing with an addict that has any kind of mental health issue. He's a big guy, can't control Chris, him. You look for help. No, sorry. No. Sorry. Sorry. That ain't what happened. All right. Good. That's what I want you to correct. That's the understanding that this was a habitual drug user. Everybody knew it. And you knew that this was the only way to deal with him. What's the truth? That That is not the truth right there. What is? My brother went to a party with some friends. You know, I don't know if it was intentionally, but somebody had to either slip something in a blunt he smoked. And my sister called me immediately and said, man, you, my brother's not acting right. I need to get, I need to get him over there with you so you can see if you can try to get him some type of help because something's not right. My brother ain't never act like this here. So I told my sister, okay, if you could get him on the train and put him over here to me, I get him the help that I think he think that I think we both need that he both excuse me that we both think he need. Mm -hmm. So this was something that you were dealing with that was novel, and when it became something that you didn't think you could figure out on your own, you called nine one one. What did you expect to happen? My brother getting some help. That the police would come Chris, and kind of know how to go ahead. Go ahead, counselor. Maybe I can story along a little bit. Daniel arrived in Rochester. Joe immediately understood that he was having, that he was acting erratically. Mm -hmm. He checked him into Strong Memorial Hospital, where they evaluated him and immediately released him back to Joe's house. Joe and Daniel were sitting at the kitchen table. Dan Daniel asked Joe to get him a cigarette. Yes, he did. Joe, and I proceeded. Ahead. I proceeded to give Daniel a cigarette. And the next thing I know, I hear my back door slam. So I run out behind Daniel. I tell my wife, I'm calling the police right now. He just ran out the back door. So in the process of me running out the back door, I lose sight of him. So now I'm driving around my whole area looking for my brother. Mm. As I'm on the dispatch with the police. Now, in the process of me talking to the police, they show up, block me in to stop me from driving around looking for him. Right. Telling me end up in jail as well if you don't stop looking for i mean how can i go to jail for him placing the call to y'all and i hear assisting y'all to look for my brother right i know that they're still looking at the situation and i want you to know at counselor also you are absolutely welcome back to talk about the case as it develops but what i wanted to get to in this is no question police have a tough job we all know that but your brother seemed to be dealing with some kind of mental breakdown whether it was uh just one episode or whether he had some illness to be dealt with. I know the hospital dis discharged him, but that's not that unusual. 
Do you wish that you had a different number to call so that it wasn't police? It was people who know how to deal with somebody who's having a mental health episode. Yes, I wish I did have a different number to call because that that number I called, that was not the number I needed and that was not the help that I was looking for. And uh, when they put the sock over your brother, do you believe that he was doing what they said he was doing, that he was saying, I have COVID, I'm going to spit on you? Listen, Chris, I, I think that anybody that watches the video can see that what happens when they put the spit sock on his head is the words that he say, he's repeating the same phrases, but his affect is what changes. He's terrified. He's horrified. He's blinded now. He's got his hands handcuffed behind his back. And what do the police officers need to do? Take a step back and wait for the EMTs to show up. They don't need to do anything. Instead, they lose their tempers, they smash his head into the ground, and they suffocate him to death. Anybody that watches the video can see that this was a death that did not need to happen. These officers sm smushed his head into the ground until he stopped breathing while they're sitting around casually chatting and cracking jokes. It's horrifying. We expect better from our police officers, and you're right. We need a different system where people who are trained to deal with people having acute mental health episodes respond and know how to treat somebody with some basic humanity. Ask him, are you cold? Can I help you? Don't worry. An ambulance is coming. Right. You're going to be okay. But look, even if they're, they're non-compliant, even if they're unruly, even if they're violent, what do we see when we go to hospitals and people are dealing with acute mental illness? They don't have guns and tasers. They find a way to control people uh, who are there. Training matters. Uh, and exactly. I think that this case is going to be very instructive. We'll have to see what they find and what the, the state finds, the Attorney General uh, James, in terms of what was appropriate and inappropriate by the officers. But there's a bigger question that I hope your brother's legacy is part of, which is how do we deal with people in these situations? How do we help and not hurt? Joe, I am so sorry for your family's loss. I want to thank you for trying to get your brother help and know that we will not stop listening to stories like this and what the right solutions are. And counsel, you're welcome to contact anytime with new information. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. Thank you. Right. And Joe, thank you for correcting this notion that, wow, this is just how Daniel was. Everybody knew it. No, it wasn't. This was oh, an boy. acute illness and you were dealing with it that way. And that's why you called the police. Joe, thank you. And God bless. Chris. All right. Thank you, Chris. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Got to stay on long haul. I'm telling you, you have a mild symptom. You think everything's going to be fine, largely asymptomatic. You don't know that. You have a medium case, a more difficult case. Things could happen. And we're hearing more and more of it. And it's getting scarier and scarier. And we've got fewer and fewer answers. Our next guest diagnosed with COVID onset glaucoma. What the hell does that mean? Exactly. After testing positive in early March, she has channeled her experience with the virus into a group called Survivor Corps. OK, she connects coronavirus survivors and long haulers with researchers and just as importantly with each other, because I got to tell you, when there's something wrong with you and everybody's telling you that there's really nothing wrong with you or it's something called sequelae, Latin for this is what follows the virus. It's not a very peaceful place to be. 
Her name is Diana Berendt. And I also have Dr. William Lee, now friend of show, friend of mine, trying to help me and help us understand how to help each other. Diana, nice to meet you. I know about the group well, obviously. Um, and I appreciate your work. I hope it has been a help to you. I know it's been a help to others. Help the audience understand why this is not the freak notion, that this is not Diana's a one-off. Uh, the, yeah, something happened to her, but maybe it would have anyway, and it's probably not COVID, and you know, she's probably trying to scare us with something that she just doesn't understand. What's your response? Well, let me tell you, Chris, first of all, thanks for having me on. And you have a huge fan base over at Survivor Corps representing the interests of all long haulers. So thank you for everything that you're doing. As a country, we are doing a you know moderate job at tracking infections, tracking hospitalization, and tracking mortality. But most people are left to recover like you and I did at home in isolation with Tylenol and Gatorade. Nobody is going to the doctor with COVID. Nobody is seeing their general practitioner. It's the first time that we've ever, in our collective experience, told people, yeah, you're really sick, but don't go to the doctor. Don't seek any medical help unless you think you're dying. So what happens is that we weren't tracking any of the experiences of those people who are left to recover at home. And what we started to discover, because I'd started Survivor Corps back on March 24th, and so we've had, you know, we have almost 100,000 members now. And they've been... 100,000 yeah. members. This isn't just people who have COVID. These are people who have COVID who've had freaky stuff happen afterwards yeah. that people cannot explain. But then they start getting involved with the group and there's so much exactly. commonality. Right. And so we started to see back in April, because we've really been the canary in the COVID coal mine from the beginning. So we started seeing in April that people were not recovering. And May went into July, into June, into July, and the numbers just started to grow. And look, the CDC has said that one in three people are not recovering in time. One in five are young, healthy people who had no pre-existing conditions. And when I say that they are not recovering, yes, I have GI issues. I have deep inner ear pain, headaches. I was just diagnosed with you know, COVID onset glaucoma. But we're talking also about people who are on day 130 of having a fever, of having tachycardia, of having COVID onset diabetes, COVID onset lupus. It is affecting our every single organ right. system. So what- Now, Diana- let me get Dr. Lee in here, because to be honest yeah. with the audience, I was going to do this anyway. I was going to connect <laughs> Dr. Lee, who I met, who's just a very sophisticated researcher. He has his own foundation where they do this work uh, with Diana because she's helping so many people. Uh, and I've had so many people reach out to me who are part of the group. But Dr. Lee, the, the synchronicity here that's so important is Dr. Lee shaking his head like crazy when you're talking, Diana, because he believes that the common link between all of these maladies is blood vessels. And that's what you've been hearing from researchers also. So Dr. Lee, compound the point. Diana knows it because she's been doing the homework. But people are all saying to me, wait, what was he talking about? So you have a blood vessel disease that COVID gave you? I said, no, COVID is a blood vessel disease. Dr. Lee, what's the knitting thought? Well, Chris, thank you for having me on again. And, and Diana, thank you for having taken the leadership to organize uh, uh, the people. Um, you know, COVID is an enigma. 
It uh, broadsided us uh, at the beginning of the year, and we're still really learning a lot about it. And I think we're through the initial shell shock of the pandemic, and now we're beginning to see some of the secondary sequelae, as you actually say. And we've been actually tracking with research to understand what is actually happening. And we think that this virus is in fact um, infecting blood vessels and, and the blood vessels connect all the organs. So some of the symptoms, Diana, that you're describing may very well be due to um, the uh, effect on uh, blood vessels called an endotheliolitis. It's kind of an inflammation uh, of the blood vessels. So Diana's so, nodding because uh, she's been hearing this. So let's do this because I'm out of time and I don't want Don to give me a new malady known as a punch in the nose. Um, but this is a community. I'm going to stay on this. As Dr. Lee comes up with research that squares enough to present to the audience, Diana, as you learn things that are working for people and what isn't. I would love to come present when we have it ready in a couple of weeks. We just did a huge study, 4,000 I'm a call people. away. I'm a call away. I'm all yours. This matters too much, not just to me, but there are too many people like me. I'm one of the lucky ones. Diana, good luck to you. Continued uh, slow thank you, healing. Thank you, Dr. Doctor, thank you for becoming part of the family. We'll be together again soon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.